I also want to say good morning uh, to everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to you. As we are in this um, weekend, and just a standalone uh, service, it was an opportunity to kind of select from Scripture, and I'm uh, going to be in Ephesians, one of my favorite books of the Bible, so uh, I'll have you turn there in just a, just a minute. But Thanksgiving as a theme is uh, a posture. Thanksgiving is a posture. It's words that we say. It's actions that we do. Uh, it's an attitude that we have. It's prayers that we speak and verbalize. Thanksgiving comes out in all kinds of different ways in our lives. And biblically, Thanksgiving is a very significant theme and mandate even that God gives us and calls us to, to be thankful. And we see that throughout all of Scripture. And so we know that Thanksgiving is expressed and comes out in all kinds of different ways. The Apostle Paul talks about Thanksgiving in many of the letters that he wrote to the churches, and he would say things like to be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is, but that we are to be thankful for what God has uh, given us and what we have in Christ. And so um, it's also interesting how our broader culture has come to understand Thanksgiving in new ways as well, too. And I want to just share something from an article that I came across that that reveals some of how our culture has just seen the benefits of thankfulness. So Kathy Gully is the um, writer of the article, and uh, I want to just quote a few things from this article that she wrote about this. She says, humans are hardwired to see the negative in life, but growing research shows feeling gratitude or feeling grateful can boost health, boost our grades, and even our brain function. The notion that we should appreciate what we have is widespread and longstanding, she says, from everyone from Jesus Christ to Dalai Lama to to Oprah extolling the virtue. What started out as a theological notion has been co-opted by a secular culture, but that hasn't made gratitude any easier to internalize. And so Janice Kaplan, she's quoting this author now, turned it into a full-time job resulting in the book, The Gratitude Diaries, How a Year Looking on the Bright Side Can Transform Your Life. It's the book that Janice Kaplan wrote. And it describes how Kaplan learned to reframe the way that she thought about her husband, her children, her finances, career, even food and exercise, to focus more on the good in front of her than on the bad frustrating her. And it's an idea entrenched in the emerging science of gratitude. I didn't realize there was an emerging science of gratitude. Apparently there is. Pioneered by American psychologist Robert Emmons. And she goes on to say, their research, their research shows higher levels of gratitude lead to better moods, better sleep patterns, less fatigue for heart patients, and even lower inflammation in the body. So if you're struggling with inflammation, practice gratitude. It will help you. Um, She goes on to say, gratitude that is not from an economic exchange. In other words, you do something nice for me so that I'll be thankful and do something nice for you, but rather a more communal view, saying and doing nice things for people because you mean it and expecting nothing in return. Then the last piece that I'll share from her article. And so if your parents have young kids under the age of eight, just cover their ears for a minute. Uh, Because here's what she said. Research shows that children don't begin to grasp the nuances of gratitude and thankfulness until about the age of eight or nine. So they actually have an excuse because science shows that they aren't able to or something. I don't know. So you can believe that or not, parents. I don't know if that's helpful for you. Anyways, gratitude and thankfulness we see in scripture. We see in Uh, science, that it supports this fact that that gratitude has all kinds of benefits uh, for us. Um, The book of Ephesians is where I want to focus on, specifically Ephesians chapter 1, and I would encourage you to turn there, either in your 
physical Bibles or on your device or whatever uh, the case may be. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 as Paul is talking about thankfulness. And he's talking about thankfulness particularly in what I see is two specific things. First of all, thankfulness for faith and all that is captured in faith. And then secondly, thankful for faithful people. So for faith and for faithful people is what we'll see here uh, today as we look at this. And it's been said that pound for pound, the book of Ephesians might be called the most influential uh, piece of writing that has ever been written. Because it's a very small, short uh, letter that was written to this church in Ephesus that Paul wrote by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And because it's so short, and yet it's one of those texts that has had such a significant impact worldwide that there may not be any other piece of literature that has had so much influence uh, over the centuries. Ephesians is a very relevant book because it connects deeply with the reality of the church and culture. And it it works on the intersection of these two as much in those days as, as it does today. It's just as relevant today. It's also a very relational book because it speaks so much about faithful people and about our relationship to God, and, uh, which is about our faith uh, in God as well too. So Ephesians 1, I want to start in the middle and then we're going to kind of go in both directions. But first of all, Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. And Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is, is talking about um, the faith that they have in the Lord Jesus, their love for all of God's people. He says, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you. And so he's articulating his thankfulness for these faithful people and also for their faith. And all of chapter 1, and we're going to see it in a minute, is this beautiful picture of the depth and wonder of our faith. Because you see, faith, faith needs to have an object. Faith needs to have uh, a focal point. We put our faith in someone or in something. And so that's what Paul is pointing to, is that the object of your faith, he's speaking to these people, and for us as well too, is something that he is so thankful for. And Ephesians 1 gives this incredible description of the living God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all that we have in faith if we place our lives in Jesus. And so you'll notice in that verse that I just read that Paul starts in verse 15. He says, for this reason. Now, when you see a phrase like that, it says to us, well, something preceded it. So for what reason, Paul? Uh, For what reason are you talking about? So let's go to the front of the chapter now and see from beginning in verse 1 and just capture some of the things that he is unpacking. And what I want to do is not have the the scripture text isn't all going to be up there. But what I've done is I've just sort of pulled out some words that are there that kind of unpack. And so you might find it more helpful to read in your Bibles and to read the text as a whole, or you might want to just look at the words that are kind of pulled out selectively from the whole first section. Now, you have to understand that this whole first section of Ephesians 1 is a doxology. Lisa and the worship team had us singing what we know as the doxology, but a doxology is a liturgy of praise and thanksgiving. It's this liturgical format of praising God, and so that song is an expression of that, This first part of Ephesians 1 is actually referred to as a doxology. And so we'll just kind of unpack some of the words, and I want to just kind of walk them through. So Paul is so thankful, and he says, it starts in verse 1, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful people in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, you are the faithful people, and he's thankful for them. And and then in verse 3, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
Now there's a whole bunch of meaning. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Verse 4, he says, He chose us before the creation of the world. And it speaks of God's initiative, that we are chosen, that we are elect, which is more about actually about God than it is about us. But that God is a God who initiates. God is a God who chooses. God is a God who expresses His love for us. And it reminds us that we are not in control, but God is. In verse 4, it says how He made us holy and blameless in His sight. In His sight. Again, something that God has done, nothing that we do. In Christ, we have been given this identity, given this position of being holy and blameless. In, in verse 5, he talks about we have been predestined for adoption to sonship. And even though that that's speaking to both men and women in that time and also to men and women today, it's not a gender-neutral term. It's actually a really important term that is sonship because what he's speaking of is in Jewish culture, the eldest son was the one who got the, uh, the, the inheritance, the one who got the double blessing, the double portion of this inheritance. And so that's what Paul is referring to here, and the people that were reading this would have understood this. This adoption to sonship meant something really significant in this culture, that it means that whether you're male or female, if you are in Christ, you have this blessing, this double portion that is available to you. Do you realize that? So he speaks of that. Then in verse 6, 7, and 8, he talks about this grace that has been freely given, this grace that has been lavished on us, this redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, how He has made known to us the mystery of His will. We often think of mystery sometimes as, well, it's things that we can't know or that we'll never know. But in ancient Near Eastern culture, they would have understood mystery as something that has been hidden and is now revealed. And it's so something that has been now revealed in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about. Is that this mystery has been made known to you. And the whole book of Ephesians is actually unpacking that. Verse 11, how we have been chosen and predestined again. This language, according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of His will. This God who has a plan for your life. And we so often read these texts in an individual focus, and yet everything in Ephesians here is talking corporately about you as a people, you as a corporate people, that you have been chosen, you have been adopted, how the people of Israel were chosen, and now this church has been grafted into this story. And as you keep reading in Ephesians, you see that unmistakably. Those who are far and those who are near all have the peace of Christ together. You know, uh, one author says this way, he says, Salvation is entirely a work of God in which humans are totally involved. And I love that. It's this wonderful truth that God is the one who is entirely at work in this process, and yet we are intimately involved. And we see that in verse 13 where we see the expression of free will. He says, "What you also were included when you heard the gospel and when you believed. It says, then you were marked with the seal, the Holy Spirit. And how this Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Again, this oldest son language. You know, what a beautiful doxology. This declaration of who God is and what your faith contains. And often in Ephesians, there's this language of being in Christ. And we often think about this idea of, of receiving Jesus into our hearts, which there is truth in that, and there is scripture about that. But, but Paul more often actually talks about being in Christ and putting our life in Christ. And so here it's, it's talking about that language. When you put your life in Christ and you become a follower of Jesus, here is what is available for you. 
And it's like Paul's unpacking this incredible gift of faith. And he says, you, know what know? you want to know what your faith is about? Here, here, let me just unpack it for you. And it's like receiving this you know, massive Amazon gift box that comes onto your driveway one day. Whomp! Right there. And you look at this box, you go, wow, what an amazing gift, this gift of faith. I'm going to take it, and you take it, and you go, and you put it in your garage, and you just sort of park it there. You go, that's an amazing gift. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Take it out. He rips open the box, and he just starts pulling out all the things that are part of this faith. He says, you want to know what this gift is? Have a look. And he just goes through all of these things that are part of this amazing gift of faith. Do you understand what you have when you are in Christ? And so it's this beautiful doxology, this liturgy of praise that Paul is going through. And then let's keep reading from 15. Let's go back to where we began. And again, I don't have the, the scripture verses, but I have three words that I want you to focus on in just a minute. But just listen to these words. Paul says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know Him better. That this personal transformation would continue in your life. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And his incomparable great power for us who believe. Don't miss those three words. This hope, inheritance, and power. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked is not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you will see, that you will know God better, and that you will know the object of your faith, the reality of your faith. And then he pulls out these three things, this hope, inheritance, and power. We need to live with hope. In fact, without hope, we die. And Paul is saying, do you understand the gift of hope that you have? Do you understand that regardless of your circumstances, that you can have a hope that is so beyond what you are currently experiencing? That it is something that helps us to have a future tilt to our life. That we are living out of that hope that we have that has both a future reality and also a present implication. It allows us to continue to move forward because without hope we shrink back. Another way to say it is that believers or followers of Jesus live from their future. They live actually from their future, being drawn forward because of the hope that we have in Christ. That comes in so many different forms. Expressed in eternity when we die, but also in terms of how we actually live today. Karl Marx is noted for saying this. He says, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. As I was Reading that again this week, I thought, well, it's slightly affirming, but it's kind of feeble and dark. And yet the content of our faith, what Paul is speaking to, and what is outlined here is, is such a great cause to be thankful for the, the great hope that we have, regardless of our circumstances. And then this word, inheritance, as he says, uh, this hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We've talked about the inheritance that we have as like the oldest son, like this double portion. 
But also here it's speaking of God's inheritance, of God inheriting his holy people. And it's a beautiful picture of that. So this, again, this inheritance has a future direction, a future promise, but also many blessings now. And one of the main tasks of the Holy Spirit is to help us to understand this inheritance. That we would understand the implications of this inheritance and this faith for us today, and that it would help us to live with a future focus for tomorrow. And so the Holy Spirit is at work within us in that way. Also, this third word, power, because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And power is one of the key themes throughout this letter of Ephesians. And the Christian faith is so much about power. We see it throughout Scripture, but it is just saturated in these texts. If you know Ephesians at all, you go to Ephesians 6, it talks about this spiritual reality and the spiritual battle. And yet, Paul almost dismisses these evil, dark forces and says, you know what, they're, they're there, they're real, but they're nothing compared to the power that you have as a church, as a people. Do you understand that this is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is within you? This is the incredible gift that you have. You know what's in the box. It's an amazing gift to be thankful for. And so the resurrection power that we have is something that changes how we live today. It changes how we die. It changes how we live for the future. It changes everything if we really understand it. And so let's finish with verse 22 and 23. And I don't want you to miss this, but what I would see, I see this as kind of the convergence of 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 what it means to have faith and faithful people. It's convergent in the church, which is what he points us to. He says, And God placed all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I mean, what a comprehensive statement. It's hard to even kind of get your head around that. It's like God's placed all things under Jesus' feet, appointed him to be the head over everything. Why? For the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It is such a comprehensive, complete statement. And so it draws us to be so thankful for the church. I mean, no other letter in Scripture so specifically teaches on the theology of the church than Ephesians. No other letter has such a high regard for the church than Ephesians. This fullness, this completeness... And if you flip through, and I, I want to just touch on a couple of verses in other chapters here, and I don't have them up on the screen. You can look in your, in your own Bibles or just listen along. But in chapter 2, where Paul, he goes on, and he's talking about how this hope, this faith that we have is now for all people, those who are far from God, those who are near. He's talking about Jews, and he's talking about Gentiles. He's saying, you too are drawn in. You too are part of this story. You too are part of God's chosen, God's elect. And then he says this at the end of chapter 2. Uh, verse 19 and following. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. How Jesus is the chief cornerstone and how the people of God People of faith are actually the dwelling place of God. And it's an amazing picture that he places about the church. Or in Ephesians 3 verse 10, it's this wonderful verse that he he says this. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's through the church. The manifold wisdom of God. All the variety of God's wisdom will be known to the spiritual realms, to the spiritual authorities. This is the church declaring this goodness by being the church. It's an amazing picture. You go on to the end of chapter 3 and you... Many of you might know this wonderful prayer of Ephesians 3, verse 14 to the end. And it, that prayer ends this way, where Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. God is able to do infinitely more than we might ask or think by his work within us, the church. And then in chapter 4, it's just filled with language of the church about being unified of one God, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. And then he goes on and he talks about the different gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, shepherds, that these are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that as they do so, um, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's that language again. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ through the church. It's an amazing picture that Paul gives. And then in chapter 5, if you know Ephesians, and for some of us who do premarital counseling or do weddings, you know, it's often a text that we sometimes go to, and sometimes it makes people nervous because it's that text about, you know, women, be submissive, you know, submit to your husbands. Then husbands, submit to your wives. In fact, give your life up for them. It's this mutual, beautiful submission piece. And Paul's teaching, yes, about how to live spirit-filled lives, and he's teaching about how to live as husband and wife is one example. But he's also talking so much about the church, and I love what it says um, a little bit later on in, in chapter 5. He says in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church, he says. Oh yeah, and however, each of you must also love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. But he's like, I'm talking about the church, about Christ and his bride, and it's this amazing picture of Paul's view of the church, the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, these people of faith, and all that their faith contains, the bride of Christ. So for me, I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for this convergence of faith and faithful people. I mean, imagine the church for a minute, where hundreds of people gather together. Imagine if the, these Spirit-filled people would willingly come together, let's say on a weekly basis, to hear teaching on God's kingdom and this holistic gospel, to understand and embrace this incredible content of their faith. Imagine those same Spirit-filled people, faithful people, that they would then go out to their workplaces and homes and soccer teams and dance recitals and community association and friend groups and book clubs and live out their faith in each of these settings, following Jesus as living, active disciples of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God. Imagine if those same people were intentional to meet also together in small groups and to come together at different times of the week and to encourage each other in prayer and discipleship and training and encouragement, that they would equip each other in God's mission together. Imagine if these same people understood how their family in whatever form it was expressed, was, this family was a key discipleship context in which to grow and live out their faith as well. Imagine if this same group of Hundreds of people saw it as their responsibility to reach out and make a difference locally in their city as well as globally, literally from the river to the ends of the earth, engaged in God's mission. Imagine the global impact if 
if the church joins together, as Maureen talked about earlier today, where globally there's this church that, that is gathering as individual pockets of people to worship, to praise God, to disciple one another, to encourage one another, and that these thousands of groups of gathered people understanding the content and the power of their faith were doing the same thing all over the world. I mean, this is the potential of the church. This is what God has called into being. This is the bride of Christ. So I'm thankful today for each one of you as faithful people that God calls us to be a collectively faithful people as a local expression of the church. I want to conclude today with just two testimonies of thankfulness for faith and faithful people. Stories from real people who are connected to our church, who are thankful for being part of this story of God and who are people of faith. And the first one is from Aner and Herlesa Zuolaga, and many of you know them well, our missionaries in, in Panama, and their son Gabriel, and we have a picture of them there. And uh, they sent this Thanksgiving letter to us, and I just want to read it to you. And they say this, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Meditating on this verse, we can say that God gives us the certainty of being blessed because we are his children. And we as a family have lots of memories of God's faithfulness throughout this year. We thank God because the circumstances have brought us affirmation that the sovereignty of God is over all and that he can turn all difficult situations into founts of growth and strengthening. We thank God for all the faith families that have shown their love toward us. Forest, Forest Grove Community Church, the Waunan Church in Panama, the church in Colombia, and now extending ties with the Brazilian church. We thank God for one more year where we have seen God move in the participants of the discipleship ministry in Yavisa. God transformed their lives and the majority of them are continuing ministry based on their faith convictions. We thank God for our indigenous Rama friends from Nicaragua as they are discipling others in the, a hostile religious environment back in their own countries. We thank God for the Waunan in Colombia as they face big challenges with cultural traditions including defiance and unjust punishments from the Waunan community leaders because of their faith. And yet they have continued serving God in the community, giving testimony to those who do not yet believe. We thank God for the Waunan in Panama as they have taken responsibility of being spiritual leaders of other indigenous groups with passion and strong commitment. We thank God for you, Forest Grove Community Church, because you have been strategic partners with us as missionaries, but also with the Waunan Church of Panama. And so we say in one voice, we give thanks, God. So here's a, one example of just a letter, a doxology of thanksgiving that just came this week that we praise God for. The second story that I, I want to share, I want to read a story from Noel and, and Anne Nakuri. And um, the picture that you see here is Noel and Anne and their kids and uh, they have been part of our church for many years, since 2013. They moved here to Canada. They immigrated to Canada in 2007. And um, so they've been here and working here in Canada for a long time. But um, the story of thankfulness in the letter is, no, is about Noel's sister, Claudette. And that's the, the family that you see on the right. And Claudette has the red on her, uh, on her head, the scarf or whatever. And her husband, Felix, and seven children. And I believe this picture was taken just a couple of days ago as they sent it uh, uh, to us. 
And so, uh, as I said, Noel and Anne Nakuri have been attending here since 2013. They're originally from Burundi. And uh, this is a story written in Noel's words uh, of God's faithfulness and about his sister. So here's what Noel says. In September 2017, I received news that my sister Claudette, her husband and seven children had to flee their home in Burundi as they were no longer safe in their country. It was a time of great confusion. For Claudette's family, it was one of those empty moments when they didn't know what to do and they suddenly were faced with a life-changing decision. But by the time I knew their decision had already been made, they would cross the border at all costs and leave everything behind, their home and belongings, their good jobs and their kids' school and their friends. It was a heart-wrenching situation, especially when they didn't know where they were going or for how long. We were, we were thankful to God when we heard that they had made it safely to Uganda. God is faithful. He never lets his people down. We pleaded with God for their safety. We prayed for God's provision for food, shelter, schooling for the children, jobs, and all their needs. We prayed for God's guidance in the new country and a new life that they would now have as refugees. I am personally thankful to God today, Noel says, for safeguarding Claudette's family. Even though the house is not the same as in their country of origin, even though maybe the food is not the same or nor as varied as before, even though they couldn't find jobs that they were hoping to find, regardless of the threats and the many challenges they have faced as refugees, we are truly and humbly grateful to God for watching over them. And in the last few but long years, no one has ever been sick to the point of going to the hospital, at least not to my knowledge, Noel says. There has not been a single day that they, did not ha- that they didn't have something to put on their table. And the children have been reinstated in schools, and Claudette found a job as a French teacher. Surely this was a serious test to the family, but their faith and hope in God did not suffer. They never trusted in anything except God, and we are thankful to God for staying close to the family and strengthening them. Lastly, we are so grateful to God that he is opening a new door for them to come to Canada. When we first talked about a sponsorship possibility, we had no clue how this would happen. Without going into the details, the way Claudette's family, uh, the way Claudette's family sponsorship application has been put together and the way it's taking shape today is miraculous. We trust God will provide for them as they make another new home here in Saskatoon in the next few months. Claudette's family, my family, and I are forever thankful to God for his faithfulness and his provision. So that's a story written by Noel. And um, for us as a, fam- or as a church, we have begun uh, the sponsorship process to help Claudette and her family. Uh, it was begun last summer. And Marianne and others have been working on this. And as was mentioned, it has been amazing the way God has been providing even in this application uh, over this time. And I would just say if you would want to join this team to help resettle Claudette's family, um, they will hopefully be arriving in the months ahead at some point in time. Uh, please let Marianne or the office know. But I wanted to just pray for Noel and Anne, and they're here. Come on up, folks. They're here in the first service too. So you saw the picture. It's one thing to have a picture, but it's also great to see them in person. So this is uh, Noel and Anne Nakuri and their children. And I just asked them if they would come and just stand before us here and uh, just allow us to pray for them. They are people of faith, and uh, they've been part of our church for many years, and they've been living here in Canada for many years already. Um, but they are living uh, a season of thankfulness, even in a time when they are uh, just trusting God for uh, Noel's sister Claudette and their family, that they will hopefully be able to come here in the next uh, number of months. So thanks for being a part of this service again. Uh, thanks for being part of our community. Uh, they both work here in the city. Uh, Noel, I asked him in the first service, he works for a, a construction company, and uh, Anne works for Shrita. 
And so uh, they've been involved here in our community for, for many years. So thanks. But I wanted you to just see them and, and connect with them and, and know them. If you haven't, I know many of you know them already. But uh, would you just stand with me as I just pray for this family and also for Claudette uh, and her family as well. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And I thank you for uh, Noel and Anne and for them as people of faith. They are faithful people, Lord, and you've brought them here years ago, and they've been serving here in our midst in all kinds of ways, and now there is this longing to have uh, Noel's sister Claudette and her family come, and we pray that you continue to protect and provide for this family in all their needs during this time, and we pray that we would be able to see a day uh, months from now when they would also be able to be here, even on this platform with us, and that we could celebrate together your goodness. But God, you've called us to give thanks in all circumstances. And I thank you for Noel and Anne's faith to give thanks to you even in difficult circumstances. And so together we join with them in praying and trusting you for your goodness and your faithfulness and for the future. And so we praise you, Lord, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.